Good evening. Um, my name's Hannah. If you don't know me, I'm part of the leadership team here. I realized this week that I have become strangely too familiar with the story of Jesus' death. Anyone else with me? Strangely too familiar. And a large part of why I realized this was because my husband, Tom, and I have spent some time reading the story of Easter to our three-year-old son this week. And there is nothing like the why, why, why of a three-year-old to help you regain a little bit of perspective. And if you have ever had a three-year-old in your house, then you'll understand some of where this is coming from. Why happens a lot in my house at the moment. Why are clouds in the sky? Why do cars go fast? Why are wee-wees yellow? All these questions that one has never really pondered. But the why of Good Friday had me well and truly stumped. I'm not going to lie. Why? Why did Jesus have to die? I actually was at Tesco earlier today and met a very grumpy trolley man who was just a bit, I mean grumpy really basically about the fact that there were trolleys all over Tesco car park because everybody was doing their Easter Sunday shopping today. Um, And I was in a sort of daze pushing my one-year-old daughter in in the trolley and he turned to me and out of nowhere he says, why do we have Easter anyway? I was like, Uh, thinking, I'm a Christian, I should have an answer for this. And I have to confess that the best that I could come up with was, well, uh, there are some good things about Easter too. And um, he went off effing and blighting, so I decided that he probably wasn't a person of peace and I wasn't going to pursue that conversation at that point, but maybe next week. Why? Why did Jesus have to die? Why? That's the question, isn't it, that we ask this evening. It would be kind of nice if he didn't have to. It would be nicer for me and my innocent-faced, naive three-year-old boy. But he did. He did. And that's why we're here tonight. And I think the invitation for us this evening, especially if you're anything like me and you've heard this story hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of time over, is to allow the Father to disturb and unsettle your spirit with this story again. To hear with first ears or fresh ears the grace cry of the Father in pain and dereliction. So that's my invitation this evening. Would you ask that question with me again tonight? Why did Jesus have to die? So let's take a few moments to unfamiliarize ourselves with this remarkable and uh, most infamous death of all history. After reading about the mocking of the crowds earlier in this passage, before the bit that Lindsay just read, um, it would have been completely within our rights to assume that all that's left to hear is that basically it took Jesus a few days to die, because that's normally what happened crucifixion was the most feared of all deaths. It was considered so horrific and so barbaric that Roman citizens were actually exempt from this punishment. It was reserved only for the very lowest scum of society. It was an utter humiliation. Not only physically, you were crucified completely naked, but psychologically, emotionally, spiritually raw. 
You were attached to a crossbeam by ropes or stakes were driven through your forearms and then lifted up, mounted on an upright beam already planted in the ground. From the skeleton of an executed man in the first century, um, we know that the victim's ankles were actually bound together and a large spike driven through Ensuring constant torture is basically you would have to push yourself up on the spike through your ankles to draw breath into your lungs. Death came through gradual asphyxiation. It's actually so hard for us to get our heads around today, isn't it? We don't see these kinds of things, but this was barbaric. This is the most horrific way to die. And so, if you were Mark's reader, then you would have read that bit of the narrative and thought, okay, well, Jesus is going to die in a few days. But, but, inexplicably strange and odd things happen. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to verse 33. First, darkness came over the land. Darkness. It couldn't have been an eclipse. In case you were wondering, I wasn't, but in case you were, it couldn't have been an eclipse because the Jewish Passover happened at full moon. It was actually recorded by secular historians. The historian Thales, writing in AD 52, records this as a supernaturally chill darkness coming upon the earth from noon till three. Why darkness? Why? The light of the world was physically dying, and so the world responded. Darkness, blackness. Think what happens when the sun goes down. It's not just about what you see, but it's cold, isn't it? You step outside your house at night and it's dark. It's cold. A chill came over the earth. Nature responded to this mystery most defining point of all history and it's foretold if you read through the old testament the story of god's people amos 5 verse 20 will not the day of the lord be darkness not light pitch dark without a ray of brightness i actually have a suspicion that christians should take a patent out against commercial america Um, because Black Friday should not be a reference to cheap televisions and crazy shopping. Black Friday belongs to Easter. Blackness, darkness, this place of utter despair. Christ was on the cross, taking upon himself the sheer dark evil of the world, and the world knew it. So here's a question for you. Have you been there? Have you been there? Darkness, a place of darkness, a place of despair. My guess is that most of us have. And if you haven't yet, then you only need live a little longer or love a little stronger. And you experience some of that, don't we? We're humans. That's, that's what happens. A place of grief, perhaps. A place of doubt, place of pain and Black Friday however it comes to us and 
wherever it comes to us from, will always seek to undermine our identity. We can have heard the thousand yeses of our Father a hundred times over, and yet in the darkness we still ask, why? Why, God? And startling as it may sound to you, unfamiliar as it may seem, I want you, I want us to hear this. We are in good company when we ask that question, why? We are in the company of God himself. Verse 34, Jesus cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why, God? Why have you left me? Why does it feel as if you are absent? Why do the innocent suffer? Why? That is the question. And if Good Friday tells us anything, it tells us it is okay to ask the question, why? It also tells us, I think, about the God that we worship. Tells us who he is. Tells you who your God is. The cross is like like the finish point of (laughs) of Mark's gospel. It's the end point. He's been kind of running towards it all the way through. And then... If you were going to kind of put any gospel into bullet points or a spreadsheet, it would be Mark's gospel. He's kind of like, this is how it happens. This is Jesus. He's the son of God. He's the Messiah in flesh on the cross. God in person, in living, breathing humanity. God in person. And so the God who cries to himself, why have you forsaken me, is not an academic God. He's not a God who writes books about your suffering or theorizes about your pain. He's a God in person who came to share with us, who allowed pain to mark him, to maim him, to mutilate his flesh, to punch holes through his hands. And he cries out, why have you forsaken me? Forsaken is a, it's a funny word, isn't it? We don't really use it in the English language much anymore, apart from maybe if you're really posh, um, but I don't. And uh, forsaken, it means abandoned or deserted, usually in a time of great need. And it seems to me that what Mark and Matthew, because this account is in Matthew 2, would have us understand is that is how Jesus felt hanging there on that cross, utterly abandoned, utterly cut off. And think with me for a minute about how horrific this must have been for Jesus. This is the Jesus who John 17:5 has been conscious of the glory that he had with his father since before time began. This is the Jesus, John 11:42, who spoke to God as daddy. That's the kind of intimacy he had with God. Daddy, I know that you hear everything that I pray. This is the Jesus who Matthew eleven twenty seven had a unique and complete knowledge of God. And this Jesus, cut off, abandoned. This same Jesus cries out, God, where are you? Some people 
believe that in that moment there was a point that God could not look upon Christ, turned his face away. Personally, I, I can't make that sit. Doesn't mean that I'm right. But for me, it makes more sense that the Father, heartbreaking in love for the Son and the world he loves, could, could not possibly actually forsake him. But the pain and the evil that Christ had to carry and assume on the cross meant that his experience was that of forsakenness. Whichever way you read it, whichever way of the coin you fall, it's clear that's, that's how Jesus felt, forsaken. To return to my three-year-old's question, why? Why did he have to experience this? Let's dig in a little bit to the theology of this. In the garden, in the very beginning, when humanity first asserted its own independence from God, said, we're going to do this our way. When he came looking for us in the cool of the day and we hid, we've been aware of our alienation, our separation from God. And the problem with us is something the Bible calls exile. It's actually not a very tricky word. It just means separation from God. That's the state of our human condition. We are exiled. And if you trace this through the story of God's people in the Old Testament, you see that this find actually physical enactment, like it got acted out in the people of Israel. They, they lived in exile from the promised land because of their rebellion from God. They lived separated from the God who made them. Even when you think in the good times, God's presence had to be separate from them, had to be in an ark or a tabernacle or in the temple. It had to be separate. And not just for people, but the whole of creation knew this dislocation from the Father, structural and systemic patterns of exile replicated all the way through history. Exile. But here's the thing, the world looks at exile and calls it something very different. Says, looks at our human condition, our appalling record at relational harmony and says that we have a guilt complex says that we need education or revolution or self-improvement. That will fix our forsakenness. That will deal with us. The world says that detachment philosophies or greater resilience, the current buzzword, or experimentation, that will change us. That will make us better. And some of these things, don't get me wrong, they might help. I've tried some of them. They're clever. <laughs> but Good Friday... Why we're here tells us that fundamentally we need Jesus. We do. I do. I need Jesus. Alienation from God, from, from our Father who made us, um, is the cause of all our other alienations. Our broken parenting fundamentally needs Jesus. Our broken marriages need Jesus. Our broken politics need Jesus. They need people who look like Jesus and act like Jesus and love like Jesus and think like Jesus and lead business 
like Jesus. That's it. Wonderfully, it's about people becoming Christians, but it's also about so much more than that. It's about the life and wisdom and strategy of Jesus' kingdom getting worked out in the world that he loves. And so whatever comes to fix our alienation from God, our forsakenness must deal with the very root of our sickness, our sin, our fundamentally need for a father. Michael Lloyd-Jones says this beautiful thing. We need nothing less than atonement to be at one with the love from which we sprang. We need, like the prodigal, to come home, to know the running, embracing, forgiving, accepting, reclothing, celebrating, dancing love of the Father. That's that's why Christ was on the cross. That's the why. That's why Christ was there. He takes upon himself our forsakenness, our exile, our alienation from the Father. And there on that cross, the love of God triumphs. He's the fulcrum of Israel. He's the final and perfect representative of all human history. He goes to the cross so that we can actually join him there, so that in his dying, we die too, and then we live. He's the one person in whom 100% God and 100% man collides, and his cry screams for all mankind the bitter consequence of rebellion from the Father. God, where have you gone? And with that cry, he achieves for us perfect union with our Father. We get to live with our Father again. You get to live with your Father again. We are not alone. So that common human experience of loneliness that we all carry is it's not just a figment of our imagination that's the sin sickness of our spirits witnessing to us that we need Jesus we need him the cross exposes our sinfulness and forsakenness it tells us that we have a problem so big that God found it necessary to die for us and with that same breath It deals with it. And just in case you were left in any doubt, let me finish reading a bit from verse 38. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. It's beautiful, really, this gospel account in Mark, the cross and the curtain. The curtain is kind of symbolic of what's going on as Jesus dies. It, it separated the holiest place, the, the presence of God, from the rest of the temple. It was 18 meters high. It was phenomenally thick and it hung for centuries. It's a curious verse if you ask me because you don't split a curtain from top to bottom unless you're a bona fide giant. You don't significance 
implication. This is a God event. This is something God was doing. He tears the curtain in two. He's saying, access to me is no longer restricted. You are not alone. I am with you. I don't know about you, but that brings me certain hope on Black Friday. Good Friday. Dark Friday. Here are the sure promises of God. I am with you in pain, in grief, as well as in joy. You are not abandoned or forsaken. God has dealt with the deepest, darkest blackness and evil of the world. Do you know, I, I can, it is as I look at the cross that I can look at Syria. I can't do it any other way. Because the cross tells me that God has dealt with the deepest, darkest evil of the world and love still triumphed. Corrie ten Boom said, there is no pit so deep that he is not deeper still. So hear the whisper of your father, our father, to you this evening. We are not alone. You are not alone, no longer forsaken. Your father who loves you. Amen. Oh,